Hello and welcome to the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. We have a great show today, so stay tuned. your host here, Hot Rod, and I have a very special guest taking the spot of JSauce. Joel, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Happy to finally be on here and have a conversation about basketball. Yeah, this is something that I cherish, and this is something that we've always had. We've always done, like, at work or outside of class or in a dorm room or something, and I'm just really happy and appreciative to have you on here. Well, yeah, it's easier now than ever, considering yeah this is this is definitely my favorite part of the year i would say yeah you hear that uh joel is a huge timberwolves fan and everyone knows that i rock with my heat so yeah joel if you let's let you know what let's just jump into that let what do you think about the blockbuster trade that you guys as the Minnesota Timberwolves did in getting Jimmy Butler? Well, you know, it's probably the right trade for the Timberwolves. You know, they get the best player. I'm a big Jimmy Butler guy because he's probably the top 10 player in the NBA. So when you can do that, you got to. But I also have some mixed emotions. I think Zach Levine's going to be a stud. The guy can shoot the crap out of the ball. He's a freak athlete works insanely hard. He wants to be great and he's more confident in himself than anybody else is in him. So I really think he's going to be good and I think the Bulls, I don't, it, it's interesting because I'm in Chicago right now and I'm a Timberwolves fan so everybody's just pissed all the time and I'm just like giggling walking around. I'm so happy about you being out there. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine how excited and happy you are and everyone's just like, oh, whenever you walk by, because everyone knows you're a T-Wolves fan, so. Yeah, they do. I feel like the whole thing with, like, the Bulls getting screwed over is, like, a little bit overblown. I mean, they definitely got the worst end of the deal, but Zach mm-hmm. Levine's pretty dang good. I mean, he averaged nearly 20 points a game as a third option on the Timberwolves, and he's, like, 21, and I know every like advanced stats guys like oh he's just like a volume scorer doesn't do anything else but I mean there's value in having somebody who can just get a shot off anytime like he's so athletic and he can shoot it from so far away he can the Timberwolves would like give him the ball at the end of quarters all the time for him to make to make a good shot and he's able to do it and Chris Dunn was he's pretty terrible on offense honestly like he's dribbles too fast, he gets sped up, and he cannot shoot. His jumper is so busted. He's like a worse shooter than Rubio, if that's imaginable. But the dude can defend. He can really defend. And if he figures out a way to be able to contribute even something on offense, I think he'll be all right. He's going to be in the league for a while because he's super athletic and really loves to defend. So I, I, I like it for the Timberwolves. It's tough to let go of kind of like the idea of Wiggins and Towns and Levine going up together and trying to take the league by storm, but it's exciting to finally have 
legitimate hope at the playoffs like we thought we had last year and then they ended up being bad again. It's, I'm getting really excited. Yeah, I, I can only imagine with the T-Wolves not being in the playoffs since 2003. Yeah, you guys are guaranteed, in my opinion, a lock into the playoffs unless something tragic happens, knock on wood. But Yeah, uh, easy there. I'm not trying to jinx anything. No, 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 I'm not. But I honestly think, like, in my opinion, I think the T-Wolves ran away. Like, they stole a lot from the Bulls. I mean, they got a top 10 player and a first round pick, which was only nine spots back for the number seven pick and two players that are, I wouldn't say bad players, but right now they're both question marks. And Levine, it's not his talent. It's just how is his knee going to hold up? You know, like after tearing your ACL and him being a player that relies on athleticism a lot, that's something that really makes the trade a little iffy. Now, if he was healthy, 100% healthy, and Chris Dunn showed a little more promise than he did last year, I think the trade wouldn't be as bad if they didn't add that 16th pick. But with the year that they both had and the pick that they gave back, I think that the T-Wolves definitely got, like, head over heels the better deal. Like, I don't know what the Bulls thought. No, yeah, I agree with you. I guess as far as Levine's knee and that sort of thing, I'm not too worried about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be rooting for Levine in Chicago. I, I love the guy. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw some videos on Instagram from the Timberwolves. Or I can't exactly remember who it was. But he was, like, sprinting, cutting, backpedaling, jumping up and down. Like, the guy's a complete freak. And he's insanely confident. So I'm not too concerned about his knee. It is crazy, though, that they were able to get the 16th pick in the draft. Yeah, that's that. That's what really got me because I remember specifically on draft night seeing the trade before the draft, and I was like, at first I only saw Jimmy Butler for those three items, like Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and the seventh pick, and I was like, you know what? Okay, like that's fine. And then later on, I see a report where, oh well, the Bulls threw in the 16th pick as well, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, what did the T Wolves have to give up to? get that 16th pick, you know? So essentially, it, it seems like they only gave up Dunn and Levine for a top 10 player in the league. Right, and I guess my thing is, what would you say the odds are that Justin Patton is just a good a player as Larry Markkinen? Oh, I think that right off, maybe not, but based on potential, and if he's brought on the right way, and he will, in my opinion, with Towns leading the way, I think that he could be a great fit next to those guys in Minnesota. And in Chicago, Markin is just going to be thrown into the fire right away. So I don't know. Like They they could end up being just as good. And this trade looks like sort of like the Brooklyn trade uh, that they uh, had with Boston, where it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah, I think, well, so Justin Patton, I guess he's one of these guys who grew like nine inches in a year. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. So he's like pretty skilled, but he just has to like figure out his body a little bit. He's almost like, in theory, he's almost like Carl Towns light, where he can like handle it and shoot a little bit and should be a good defender, but isn't really a good defender. So I like that. I was I was pulling for OG on an OB. Yes. Yes. But I, I like Justin Patton. As far as Larry Martin, I feel like the Bulls, they just need to 
just play as fast as possible and shoot as many shots as possible and just have Lowry take six threes a game and Levine take eight and have Dwayne Wade do something else because they're going to be terrible. Yeah, they're going to be awful. And But they could at least be exciting let Hoiberg start to try to actually do some running because in theory, Chris Dunn should be able to be like running gun point guard. He's beating up the pace on defense and turning it into offense. It's not going to work in year one, but they could like start there, start building that type of system. Yeah, and my know. and my thing with the Bulls was, yeah, you get the seventh pick, you get these young guys. My thing is maybe trade down trade down from the seventh and get more like you're basically launching a full rebuild why not try to acquire more assets and stuff try to flip robin lopez or stuff or someone like that so the bulls have a lot of thinking to do and a lot of work to do to get back to where they were like five years ago i mean even though they were mvp rows and stuff like that they were still like one of the scarier teams to play every night and that appeals definitely gone in chicago Oh yeah, oh yeah. T Wolves definitely. They probably are already selling out every night. Moving on, big news in the NBA world: Chris Paul just got traded from the Clippers. He decided to opt into his contract to get traded from the Clippers to the Houston Rockets to team up with James Harden. And the details of that trade is Chris Paul for Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrezl Harrell, and the 2018 first round pick for Houston. What are your thoughts on that? that we just spent the entire year going with like the James Harden point guard experience and like just he's a point guard he's a point guard he's a point guard going dimes all over the place and now we're switching back to him playing a little bit more off the ball I actually think it'll be pretty good for the Rockets everybody's talking about how Chris Paul's best shot is his mid-range shot like coming off the screen and pulling up at the foul line and how that might not mesh that well with the Rockets but I feel like that's almost what they need if you watch them in the playoffs Harden really struggled. The guys really struggled because they would just plant somebody in front of the rim and chase guys off the three-point line. And if you only have to guard the three-point line in the rim, you don't have to guard the entire floor. It's, it's like more predictable to guard. I feel like they could benefit from a couple mid-range shots. What do you think? I I don't know what to think. I like on one end, I think that this could be very potent and scary. But then on the other end, I think the opposite. I think that those are two players that might not mesh well. I think that both at their best, that would be very scary because you have two guys that can handle the ball that well. And Chris Paul, I mean, he's the best at what he does. And I think he's like a very cerebral player and he will figure it out. So I'm more on the end of they'll figure it out and they'll be great. But I don't remember Harden being a player that didn't have the ball in his hand a lot. And even in OKC, when he was there, like he was the primary ball handler when he would be on the floor. So that's one of the things that I'm interested to see. And I'm shocked that Chris Paul even is a Rocket. I was convinced that he was going to be a Spur. I thought he'd be a great fit there. And his mind and Pop's mind together, that would be crazy. But his mind and D'Antoni and Harden might be even crazier to think about like the offensive things that they can do together. It's crazy to me. Yeah, it'll be interesting because Harden is like, he's an excellent three-point shooter, but his percentage has not been very good recently. 
because he just takes really, really difficult threes off the dribble all the time. Mm-hmm. Step back threes. It'll be interesting to see. It. I would bet his percentage jumps up in the upper thirties this year, playing off the ball a little bit more and getting some more easy shots. Mm-hmm. I, I I just think the Rockets in the playoffs sometimes can get a little bit. Um, when you have the ball coming from one guy the entire time, you get a little bit predictable, and the defense knows what's coming. So being able to switch it up and have. Chris Paul handle it and Harden handle it makes it definitely a little bit more unpredictable. The thing though is, can Chris Paul leave after one year? If it goes yes, down? that's one thing I definitely was going to bring up. What makes it smart on Chris Paul's end is he opted in so therefore he can be a free agent next year and if this doesn't work out he can leave and if it does work out he can sign like a mega contract when he's like 33 34 so this is a great opportunity for Chris Paul to have a one year like let's see what we can do let's see if I can get it to the Western Conference Finals and if not then I'll find somewhere else and be in that huge free agent class so if it goes bad it could go really bad yeah so what do the Rockets do now? Because they can't be done, right? They have cap space. Yeah, I think that there are there are reports that they are after Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. How huh. my thing is, I don't see them having the assets to go and make a trade with the Pacers and get Paul George. Like I don't see them beating Boston. I don't even see them beating the Lakers or even even the Cavs. Like if the Cavs just offered Kevin Love, I don't think they have anyone else that could match what the Cavs would give for Paul George. So I really don't see them getting Paul George. Maybe Carmelo Anthony would be a lot easier. Yeah, they're definitely they're gonna be outbid for Paul George. If they have enough to get him, that means somebody else is just gonna swoop them up because they don't have much anymore. Because uh, Chris Paul and Ariza boys, so they want to play together. Oh yeah, Chris Paul and Ariza. I didn't know that they were boys. Yeah, they they probably want to stay together. And even if they traded, I could see them offering something like maybe Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson for him. But as Indiana, like I don't know, like maybe that would be a good trade. What do you think about that? I don't know. I don't know if I want Ryan Anderson to find anybody. Yeah, especially on that I, contract. He, yeah, he makes so much money, and he is so bad on defense. You brought up Carmelo. I think that might be Mike D'Antoni's worst nightmare. <laughs> just, a, just a replay of Carmelo and D'Antoni in New York. Like, Melo basically got him fired, and he's just like, he wins coach of the year, he's on top, and then Melo just steps back in to tear him right back down. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I completely forgot that D'Antoni was Melo's coach in New York. Yeah, I bet uh, D'Antoni's in Maury's ear, and he's like, no, no, not Melo. Go PG. Go PG. Yeah, I think that the Clippers definitely got a lot more than they should have. I mean... Chris Paul was a free agent this year, so he should have left for nothing. But I think he did them a favor by letting him know that he was leaving to the Rockets. And they got some scraps from the Rockets that they can build on and maybe try to get an offer out to Blake and see if Blake would stay. But I'm convinced he's gone, but we won't know until it actually happens. Yeah, they did pretty well. I I mean, Patrick Beverly's really speaking good. If I was another team and Blake Griffin left, I'd be trying to get Patrick Beverly if the Clippers decide that they want to tear it down because that guy's a dog on defense and he can shoot threes really well. Mm-hmm. So if you have a ball dominant wing, man, I'd love to have Beverly. Yeah, he's for, he was first um, team all defense. Right, so they have things they can do now 
interesting to see what happens with Blake Griffin because if I was him, I might just try to wash my hands of the Clippers just entirely. Maybe go to Miami if they offer me the max they can offer. What do you think about that? Uh, don't get me started on that. Honestly, I love the idea of Blake Griffin, especially if they can get him in Miami. I think that they would keep waiters, and that would be an interesting five for them, and they would be up towards the top of the East. But I think the Heat right now just have their eyes set on Hayward. For some reason, they really want Hayward, and I think they're waiting to see if they can get a commitment from him, and if not, then revert to Griffin. I mean, he's not that bad of a consolation prize but i think they really have their eyes set on hayward and speaking of hayward he has the option of going to the celtics and the celtics trading for paul george like what do you think about those reports right i would be so mad if paul george and gordon hayward both end up on the celtics playing together i saw the other day a report from some source somewhere by somebody said that paul george is like interested in playing with gordon hayward yeah. You're the Jazz. What the hell are you doing? Just <laughs> trade for Paul George right now so you can have him on the roster and try to convince Gordon Hayward to come back. Like, there's no downside to it. Because if Gordon Hayward leaves, you're not making the playoffs anyway. And you might at least have one more year with Paul George before he leaves. So, is like Donovan Mitchell or Rodney Hood. Like, I like those guys, but they're not going to get you to the playoffs. So, if you can flip them, and then they also have Thunders lottery protected first round pick next year I think and then their own pick if they can put like they have some young assets with they could outbid the Rockets at least you know why are they just sitting there on their hands waiting for Gordon Hayward to make a decision they should do something if their guy ends up in Boston with Paul George and they had an opportunity to trade for Paul George that'll that'll have me in fit I wrote about that on yeah, I was just about to shout out your piece. Um, it's a great piece. Uh, if you have a chance, check it out. It's on the bonafidebasketball.com website. Check out the post on why Joel thinks Paul George is a missing piece for the Jazz. It's seriously, I guess, I guess the thing is, people would say he would never stay in Utah. But to me, I'm like, if they have Paul George and that lures Gordon Hayward to stay, and he and George Hill have already played together, I don't really know how their relationship is. But if they bring back George Hill and Gordon Hayward and add Paul George, then they could be a team that is the second or third best team in the NBA. The Jets are really speaking good. Yeah. And they would match up well with the Warriors. They have as good a shot as anybody at beating the Warriors, right? Yeah. I mean, you have that defense. Uh, with George Hill, Hayward, Paul George, and Rudy Gobert in the back. I mean, they'd have the pieces definitely to match up well with Golden State. Right, and if they could somehow manage to get Paul George without giving up Rodney Hood, which they would probably have to give up Rodney Hood, mm-hmm. but that would be an incredible starting five. And if they had to give up, say, let's say they go Donovan Mitchell, Dante Exum, two picks, and Derek Favors or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's enough to get it done, but they would still have Boris Dial and Joe Johnson and Alec Burks and Shelvin Mack. Like, it wouldn't hurt their depth that bad. And then they match up size-wise. They could switch everything on the court, basically. They got Rudy Gobert patrolling. They would at least make the Warriors work. They probably wouldn't win, but they would make them work for sure. Yeah, that I definitely agree with that. And I am sold on... Uh, Donovan Mitchell's potential as like especially as a defender 
I know in our last piece, I talked about uh, how he's a shorter guard, but he has such a long wingspan and he's so explosive as an athlete. Like he could be a really good defender. So even if they did that trade and kept him, like you could have him on the floor and play defense and switch out on everyone, like you were saying. I heard that he's more like a microwave scorer. Like once he gets it going, like he's one of those guys that can stay hot. I didn't really watch much of Louisville basketball, but from what I've seen, I mean, they traded up to get him right over the heat. I heard the heat maybe wanted to get him, but I think that I'm sold on his potential. I think he can be a really good player if in the right situation. And I think he does a good situation for him to blossom. And especially if they get those two guys, I think wow, like, he would blossom even faster. Right, yeah, I kind of make a point to not watch Rick Pitino, but, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know that much about him. But anyway, sorry, before I got on my rant, we were talking about spots for Paul George. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to go to the Celtics and they sign Gordon Hayward, aside from me losing my mind, that will be a really good situation for them because they already have a star and Isaiah Thomas, who's making so little money yep. that they can basically pay for two other stars. They already have Al Horford. And I don't know what they'd have to give up to get Paul George. They probably would. Pacers would probably rather have picks and young people rather than, like, present-day talent. So they would keep maybe at least for one more year Jay Crowder and maybe Avery Bradley. I'm not entirely how the money works out. I think that to get that trade done, they would definitely have to get rid of either Tatum or Jalen Brown. They probably would get rid of Brown. And then probably Avery Bradley would for sure have to be into it because they don't want to pay him and Isaiah Thomas. And Jay Crowder, they would like to keep him because he's on such a good contract. So I think it would be something centered around Avery Bradley, Jalen Brown, Tatum, which would most likely be Brown, and a couple picks. And I think that would be better than what anyone else can give the Pacers, for a rental. Right. I guess if they're going, like, the Brooklyn pick, Jalen Brown, I would hold back on Andrew Bradley if they, they could swing it financially. I would probably do Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, instead of Andrew Bradley in a pick. No, they would definitely have to get Bradley in the pick just for financials and for future financials as well because Avery Bradley is going to come in if not max near that next summer so I if I I think he can I mean I mean if if guys like Alan Crabb and Evan Turner getting 70 plus million uh Avery Bradley should be getting that should be the starting point for his negotiations yeah that's that's true he's better than them but I do wonder if last year's free agency is going to be not necessarily a baseline for what teams are offering these guys. Mm-hmm. Those contracts are looking so bad. Yes, I completely agree. They're they're looking awful. Because if you're a, if you're a center going into free agency now, you look and you say Timothy Mozgov is making sixteen a year. I'm better than him. I should get more money. But I feel like that's not going to be how it goes for a lot of these guys. Well, another thing is a lot of these teams don't have the cap space like everyone had last year. And speaking about like Isaiah Thomas being on such a great contract, like that's the same kind of theory that went behind the Warriors and how good they got because Curry was on such a great contract. So they were able to re-sign Clay to a big contract, Dre, uh, sign KD, uh, Iguodala. Like, so they were able to do that. And now with 
Curry getting most likely the Supermax this year. Their offseason is going to be a little interesting on who they're going to keep and who they're able to pick up if they lose anyone. Yeah, that is interesting that it is kind of like the same situation that the Warriors have with Curry, where his clock number looks way lower than his value, so they're able to add all these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, Boston, I mean, if they could swing that trade and get those two guys, I mean, they're at the top. I think they're, in my opinion, they might be ahead of Cleveland. What do you think? Yeah, I, I have a hard time betting against LeBron uh, anything in the Eastern Conference. But if they come out of this offseason with the better part of their team intact and they add Paul George and Gordon Hayward, that is going to be a series for sure. Mm-hmm. Their biggest issue was they don't have anybody to throw at LeBron. And now they have Paul George and Hayward, two guys. And now they have Paul George and Hayward, and you can have Crowder do spot duty. He's a lot smaller, but he's feisty and he can get in there, you know what I mean? Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely would like to see that if Miami can't get Hayward. I mean, I obviously want Hayward down in South Beach, you know, looking a little tanner than he does now. But if he does go up there, that would be very interesting. And I personally think that we might not see the King in the finals for an eight straight finals. Yeah. For competitiveness, I think that'd be nice to break up this four years Cleveland down Yes. Because I, I'm kind of tired of it already. And it doesn't look I've definitely heard that, and I'm sure our listeners have definitely heard that too. But yeah, I think LeBron is as good as gone if they don't win it this year. Uh, it's kind of the same situation that he had in Miami as well. I mean, had they win it that year, would he have gone back? Probably not, but I think he's good as gone. And I think he knows like he's at the tail end of his career, and he wants to sort of like go play for like a Lakers or wherever else he wants to go. I think he wants to play for one of those like bigger market showtime teams yeah and why not you know he's kind of had his cake and eating it too so far he left cleveland went and won his championships came back got them one so a hero in cleveland he was able to do what he wanted in 2010 he doesn't owe cleveland anything just go do your thing man yeah i completely agree with that i mean he delivered on that one promise that he gave them and i think that's what they were so mad about when he left the first time is they felt like he quit on them and now that he came back and won them the championship there's i feel like there's no way they can bash on him for leaving and especially with what dan gilbert's been doing dan gilbert has to arguably be one of the worst owners in the league so you can't fault him for leaving that situation Yeah, I guess not. I don't know their situation. But speaking about bad owners, James Dolan fired Phil Jackson yesterday. What do you, what's your reaction and thoughts on that? It's just in time. Phil's trying to screw up the only thing he did right, and that's Porzingis. He's gauging how much he can get for Porzingis, which is moronic. Their entire basketball philosophy in New York should be how can we cater to this seventh foot three Latvian freak. You know what I mean? Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, he's a unicorn. Like, you're not going to find another guy at that height with that skill set and that 
mobility. Like, it's never, like, that's insane. What do you think Joe's gonna do now? You think he's just gonna be, like, hanging out, pretending like he was, like, still a Zen master, tweeting at, like, 3 a.m., nonsensical stuff? I think that one team will probably, like, hire him in, like, an advisory role, kind of like a Jerry West thing, but I don't see him ever getting back into, like, management or and definitely not coaching. So I think this is, like, unless he's doing what you're saying, like, tweeting it in the middle of the night, like, this is, like, probably, like, the last of Phil Jackson we're going to hear for a little bit. Yeah, he's so old, too. He should just retire, right? Yeah, he's just... Years old. Mm-hmm, retired, and maybe him and... His girl, Jeannie, will get back together. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So, if you're the Knicks, what do you, what do, you do from here? Where do you redirect the ship? Now that Phil's gone, I think one of the bigger things here that no one is really talking about is what kind of team can they be now without being forced into playing the triangle? Now that Phil's gone and Hornacek doesn't feel the need to force himself to be a triangle coach. What kind of team can they be? Like if they keep everything intact and sign a couple players, a couple of good role players or something, what kind of team can they be? They do have pieces to be like a fighting team in the East. You still have a star in Carmelo. You still have a unicorn in Porzingis. I don't know if Joe Noah can ever recover to what he was, but he can be decent. He's proven that he can be a top player in this league in what he does and so on. I mean, sign a good point guard and Frank Nilaquila, he could be a good piece for them too moving forward. So they have like a couple of decent pieces and with the right moves this offseason they can be one of those teams that surprises everyone next year if they keep everyone intact. Yeah. You know it's crazy how much the Knicks and Phil Jackson and Carmelo have been the center of attention in the last six months. I don't think I've thought about Jeff Hornsack like twice. I, I almost forgot that he was still their coach. He just he, he just feels like such a lame duck out there. He's like I he's with Phoenix, he's like, let's play as fast as humanly possible and then he gets to New York and it's just like hey run the triangle even though a bit now. Yeah, like that, and that's that was the biggest thing with Phil. Like he couldn't just let the triangle go. I mean, I know you won with the triangle, but you also had two of the greatest players of all time playing in your triangle. So, and then especially in today's day and age, like the pace and space that would kill the triangle, and it clearly showed, and it lost him his job. So I don't know why he felt the need to not want to adjust like everyone else and keep to his old roots. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like a cautionary tale of like what happens when you start to drink your own Kool-Aid a little bit too much. You start to think, I'm a little bit smarter than everybody else in the world. The triangle is actually smart and everybody else is stupid. I'm going to start playing mind games with my best player. Like, yeah, I don't I don't know what his logic was behind the whole Carmelo situation since the midseason and Porzingis now, like Porzingis not even going to his exit meetings and or going to talk to Porzingis' brother rather than Porzingis. Like, I don't know. That situation was just a huge mess. And I think Knicks fans are very ecstatic that he's gone. I'm sure Melo and Porzingis are like happy as well. And right now it's just a bet. Like just by him leaving, there's just this like completely different vibe on New York. They still have a busted up roster, but just the vibe around them is just completely different. It's like they got this huge monkey off their back, and now they can actually move forward and at least, you know, try to figure out something to do with Melo, but they can do it in a respectful way so that, you know, both sides can 
try to get something so speaking on the Knicks, Carmelo Anthony and his camp were actually speaking to the Knicks on a buyout. Do you think that the buyout will happen? And if it does, where do you think he'll land? Do you think he'll be a Cav, a Rocket? Do you think he'll go somewhere else? Like, what do you think? I don't think he's going to get bought out. Doesn't he have like two years of like $25 million left? Yeah, $25 million each. He has like two years, like $54 million. I'm pretty sure that's what it right. is. So I don't see him walking away from that much money. And I don't see the Knicks saying, you know what, we'll pay you $50 million to not play for us. Because he's, like, still fine. Like, Bella's still good. Like, he can give you 23 points. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it doesn't make sense to me from a Knicks point of view to just pay him to go away. Especially now that Phil Jackson's gone. Yeah, and that's another thing, like, especially with Phil Jackson, I know I t- like said this earlier, but with him gone, like, they could be a completely different team and have a completely different identity, which could be the difference in them being a playoff team or not. I mean, they do have the talent, especially in the Eastern Conference, to make the playoff, in my opinion. A couple good signings away, but they have, like, the star power, they have the young piece, they have they have a decent young coach. I mean, Tornasek was the coach of the Suns when they were almost in the playoffs a few years back. Yeah, when they tricked themselves into thinking that they were good. Yeah, so... Um, they won, like, 48 games and missed the playoffs. So, Hornacek is proved like he's a proven coach in this league so they have like the right pieces to at least make a run in the east now if they're in the west it's a completely different story but uh i believe in the east they have just as chance as any of the other teams that didn't make it if they keep everything together right see i think i go the other way i think i just try to part of that huge free agency binge spending last year so he's gonna hurt their contracts for a couple years as the Knicks like you said you wanted to tear it down and do a rebuild so do you think that that would be in the best favor for Porzingis and build around him I mean obviously you would build around him but or my logic behind this is like do you think that he would want that or do you think that he's one of those guys that you could try and maybe build a little quicker than you would like a full-scale rebuild yeah see trying to speed up a rebuild kind of makes me nervous like that's what uh cavaliers did with lebron and what the pelicans have done with anthony davis and what, what i would do is i would just force feed him as many touches and as many shots as he can get and i'd force free feed frank Pilikina as much as he can handle and they're just going to be bad i'm sure because Porzingis really is like one of their only good players. Mm-hmm. At the end of the year last year, they were brutal. But I'm letting Rose walk. I don't have their roster in front of me right now, but I would do everything I could to get bad this year, I think, and maybe pick up a couple extra assets in the process. It might be impossible. Phil Jackson might have done such a bad job that they're going to be bad, and they're going to be bad for a long time. Yeah, I think he did. A really bad job. I think he kind of like whoever comes in on the Knicks is sort of like stuck 
like how uh, the new GM of the Magic is. Like, he's stuck with a whole bunch of bad contracts and not really much to make of it. No, like, real, like, assets. I think the Magic's GM is really stuck, especially with the Biombo contract and, like, having Alfred Payton and having, like, what do you think about that, uh, the number six pick with Jonathan Isaac? Do you think that that's a good fit? Do you think that maybe that's a not a good fit with Aaron Gordon? What do you, like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that would have been crazy. It actually, it makes it does make sense that he would have been a great fit anywhere he went. I mean, he's one of those guys that you could plug him in wherever and he'd be fine. But I think the big thing with him is whether he can be like a superstar. Like, could he be one of those guys like you can lean on to like make plays? And and I think that with him being at Florida State with those ball handlers, he didn't really get to do much of that. So we really don't know if he has that in him. But that's one of the more intriguing things about him is whether he can be that guy for a team or is he just a right. high-end role player? Yeah, I don't really see him as a superstar. I don't ever see him as kind of an initiator of an offense. I see him as a super valuable player to have. Somebody that can be just like almost an ultra-blue guy. He can do whatever you need if you need him to be a corner three-point shooter. He can do that. If you need him to set a screen and dunk, you know, rim run, he can do that. I love his defensive versatility, but I also, I don't think he's going to be the next Giannis. I don't think he's handling the ball like that, finding shooters, getting to the rack. I don't see him as a primary ball handler. I think he's somebody who could be extremely complimentary to virtually any team except the Magic. I completely agree with that. But yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that even the Timberwolves before this Butler trade that everyone had pinned either him or Markinen at that spot. So had they not gotten Butler, I mean, he clearly wouldn't have been on the board. So I don't think that's someone they could have gotten, but he would have been a great fit there too as well. Yeah, that's who I wanted him to get all the way leading up to the draft. I was up until like two days before the draft, I was like, he might drop to seven. Yeah, you guys definitely won draft night, that's for sure. Well, here's this. I want to ask you this. There's reports that came out. It was from David Kahn himself. He was saying how Steph Curry's 
father did not want him to play Minnesota. And that played a part into them drafting Johnny Flynn over Curry. And this is pretty interesting to me because of the whole LeVar Ball and Lonzo Ball situation that is going off in the league right now. So what's your thoughts on that? Like, I know you've heard that. Yeah, I, I saw that. Sports Illustrated article, I think, that David Kahn wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, David Kahn has been out of my life for like the past four years, and it couldn't be better that that he's starting to creep back in the <laughs> things I see and am hearing. But just take the player. If you like the guy, if David Kahn really thought Steph Curry was the best player available, he should have just taken him. Regardless of what Del Curry says, you got four years with the guy. Was he not gonna? He's not gonna play for you. He's gonna hold out for four years. You have his right. So he, he can either show up and play, or he can just decide he's not gonna be a basketball player anymore because that's the team he got drafted to. So if I was the Celtics or I guess the Sixers, and I like Lon the ball better, which I don't. I think Marco Fultz is a better player. But if I like Lonzo better. I would just take Lonzo because he might be like, oh, I'm Lakers everything, Lakers this, Lakers that. But if he doesn't go to the Lakers, what's he going to do? Now, I, I don't necessarily like it this way, but the player who's getting drafted has virtually no power. It's really weird to me that they have all of um, the market power. Like people are showing up to watch Lonzo Ball, the two in to watch Lonzo Ball, but he honestly has no power with what team he goes to. So, I don't know. I feel like the whole thing with David Connors, he wrote that article just to try to, like, be like, guys, chill out on all the David Conn crushing because he didn't want to come to Minnesota. But I feel like that's a cop-out. You just take the guy. There's been plenty of times where a player says they don't want to go there, they get drafted there, and then they play and it looks out okay. I know this is completely different sport, but do you not see it as sort of like the like Eli Manning and Philip Rivers thing, like where Eli did not want to go to the Chargers and forced his way to New York? Could you not see something like that happening if they were to uh, draft Curry when his father and himself clearly didn't want to be there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure about how like football contracts work and all of that, mm-hmm. but what it seems to me is like the player can say, I won't play for you. You better trade me. But what I'm saying is, I'll just call his bluff. No? I don't know. I'll probably just did it say we had Johnny Flynn for two years, but... Well, I heard that one of the big things with him was uh, he got an injury and he was just never the same after the injury. I mean, I don't know too much about it. I wasn't really that much into the T-Wolves at the time, so couldn't really tell you too much about that. I'm sure you could, but could you imagine Curry being this good if he was on the T-Wolves instead of being drafted by the Warriors? Yeah, I think Curry would be this good regardless because of how he plays. He finally, he found a coach that kind of let him just go. But Johnny Flynn had a hip injury, and that's actually a similar injury to what Isaiah Thomas has now. Yes, I've heard that too. That they have to consider before they give him a huge contract. Yeah, and that's another thing that uh, I think the other teams battling the Celtics can bring up and for free agents. I know that Pat Riley will try everything he can to get Hayward to try to commit to Miami and not go with the Celtics, and he'll probably bring that up and be like, look at what happened when this happened, and you could put yourself in a bad situation by going there or something like that. And then again, he can also sell him on South Beach. I'm sure it's 
very hard to pass up South Beach. Right. It's going to be an interesting, an interesting weekend here once free agency starts. I'm excited to see where everybody goes. Yeah. I'm glad that the players have some power to do whatever they want now. Yeah, and that's that's the big difference uh, between now and back in the days. I remember back in the days, like, teams were built through trades and maybe, like, the lesser-named players would be, like, the free agents. But now it's, like, it's the big-name guys and the lesser guys are getting traded. So it's kind of like a little role reversal in that sense. But I'd love to have you back and we could talk about more of this stuff, especially with free agency. Do you think most guys will be committed before the actual signing day, or do you actually think that they'll wait till like that day to sort of figure it out? I wonder if it's going to be kind of like a frozen period to wait to see where Gordon Hayward chooses to go. Yeah. Because it seems like Gordon Hayward is everybody's number one target, and then if they pass on him, they'll get Blake Griffin or someone else, or Paul Millsap or something like that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most interesting off-seasons that I've seen in a long time. I mean, this off-season has to be up there with, so far, it has to be up there with 2010 and 2014. Well, it's great to have you on our show today, Joel. It's been a pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, thanks, man. I uh, enjoyed coming on. Talk to the basketball with you. Yeah, it's always great to have you on here. And for the rest of you listeners, uh, you can always tune in, subscribe to our podcast, and it can always show up when we post. And make sure you check out our website at bonafidebasketball.com. And our podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean. So stay tuned for our next installment.